it, like it has a name in uh, in my D and D Beyond now. Its name is uh, I should know this. <laughs> you should probably know. It's Sledge. Sledge, right? You you had two whole sessions together. How could you forget? Exactly. <laughs> Live for the Mundangerous Undermountain in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 235 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about building and surviving mega dungeons. But first the party gets a letter in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Dungeoneer delves into the depths in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use it to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. It also has lots of awesome free content, like the D&D basic rules and articles from great writers like James J. Heck and awesome videos from Todd Kenrick. The team is always updating the site with new features, so improvements to the platform are always coming. Like, for example, that Extras tab, where you can add all the, the different like sub uh, categories like your artificer homunculus and your wild shape and all that. Mm-hmm. Shane, we are playing in Dark Sun. We've talked about this before and yes. I have begun undertaking the ridiculous task that I should not do, but of course I am doing of adding all the creatures that my 8th level druid is capable of wild shaping into and then figuring out Dark Sun equivalents and renaming them all in D&D Beyond which you can do. <laughs> so I will give you a pro tip. That's a fool's errand. You should just look at the two or three at each CR that are actually worth using. (laughs) And then you can add them on the fly as filterable things when you need something that has like a specialty like swim or fly or something like that. I am 100% sure that I will begin by doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Given enough time, eventually you will adopt all of them. (laughs) And of course, I can just delete everything with a swim speed. (laughs) Right. Because it's dark sun. There's no water. It's a silt swim speed. Well, that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna lobby for. Yeah, it's a silk to puss, silk to puss. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is very gritty. I don't. Hmm. Uh, did we did we wash this well enough? I don't know. I like when we built my battlesmith. Everybody was like, "Oh well, what's the equivalent of an ape?" Because I wanted you know like a like a mecha ape as my uh, my battlesmith uh, steel defender, and then we looked it up and it turns out it's just ape it's just an ape right there's still like tiny pockets of forest yeah (laughs) so i have an ape (laughs) and it's it's named in like it has a name in uh in my DD beyond now its name is uh i should know this (laughs) you should probably know it's sledge sledge right you you had two whole sessions together how could you forget exactly (laughs) how could you forget all the forge terms you know that have been thrown around three character sheets (laughs) sledge hammer anvil all i got (laughs) all right so if that sounds fun to you check it out at dndbeyond.com also if you want to check it out on our youtube channel you can uh see our unboxing video of beetle and grimm's Baldur's Gate Ascent into Avernus Platinum Edition. This is the uh, $500 premium box set in which you get minis and maps and uh, a whole bunch of like 
extra stuff for running the adventure dms two dm screens uh, but we pull all that stuff out of the box. We look at all of it. Uh, the camera kind of missed on the second angle, so it's not as good as the first Saltmarsh one, but we'll improve it for the next one, which is Eberron. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you did bring the, I won't spoil too much, but the mini, which really should be called a maxi, mm-hmm. uh, to our actual game, our Dark Sun game last session and just mm-hmm. plunked it on the table and like plunked it because it's big. <laughs> It comes in three pieces. <laughs> uh, and GM Angela looked at it and said, all right, I got to figure out how to work that in. Sure. It, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so check that out on our YouTube. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. You can search Total Party Thrill on YouTube. We have a, uh, a playlist that includes both of the unboxing videos as well as a playlist of the full stream of Blades campaign uh, if you want to see our Band of Blades actual play. So Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And on the day of morning near a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party has died. Because of course they were killed in the wake of the destruction of Seer. But then, somehow, the party awoke, alive, in the House Jurasco compound where they died apparently raised back to life by the halflings of the House of Healing. Uh, with us are the Ondarian soldiers that we were working with trying to save some refugees, though none of the refugees that we were trying to rescue have been revivified. Apparently they were in too many pieces. They don't have that many HP. You know, that's uh, that's how that works. Mm-hmm. Also, they were at the bottom of the compound, so all the rocks fell on them. Right. Yeah, rocks fell and you died, but... You were mostly on the rocks. They broke our fall. So Colonel Darian Ephraim, all the Ondarians, thanks the party and tells them to call on him if they ever need any help. And then they all go their separate ways. So four and a half years later, each of us receives a letter from Colonel Ephraim. A uh, House Orion courier delivers the message even to people with no fixed address or far from civilization, not unlike uh, Warden and Bramble who live... On the edge of the Eldine Reach. Yes, because in the intervening four and a half years, they've returned to their to their groves. And yet, a house Orion human mail delivery courier just sort of shows up one day and is like, you are hard to find. Here's a letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You may go now. <laughs> Lose my address. <laughs> <laughs> Never had it to begin with. <laughs> so... Everyone else in the party has been up to stuff too. Zan has been scavenging through old battlefields left over from the last war. And of course, those are all over the place. Yeah, Lucky the Changeling has been traveling around Corvair incognito in a variety of uh, personalities. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was just so that Susie, uh, each time you guys entered a new city, could say, do I know someone here? I know someone here, don't I? Of course I I do. Can I roll a D100 for this? Vesica the Kalistar has been working as a brelish diplomat while searching for his long-lost brother. Lenore has been working as an inquisitive in Sharn. And Decimus has been also working tirelessly in his lab, probably doing something terrible. Mm -hmm. Now, the letter that everyone gets reads the same thing. It says, The 27th of Baracus, 998YK. The years have not been kind to me, dear friend. The dreams... Does the war still burn on your blood as it does in mine? When last we met, I said you could call on me for a favor, but I am the one in need now. 
Will you help a comrade in arms? Meet me on the 11th of Ron at Marrow's Mead in Vedicure. If bonds do not bring you, I have crowns to make it worth the while. And included in the letter is a one-way lightning rail ticket, good for passage from anywhere in Corvair to Vedicure, a small city in the heart of Karnath that is the ancestral seat of House Jurasco. It is also kind of close to that original battlefield where everybody died four and a half years ago. So tell me about the dates, Ishan, because I think that ah, is yes. perhaps the least decipherable to me, even as a player who played this. <laughs> but I think what you're saying is we it's roughly spring and we have 14 days to get to Vedicure. It is late August and you have 14 days to get to Vedicure. What's yes. the difference between late August and spring? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the... Uh, Eberron is one of those uh, fantasy settings where they rename uh, all the months, but the months are still the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the campaign opened on the 20th of Olorun, which is February 20th, which is the day of mourning. Uh, Baracus is August, August 27th. And you are supposed to meet uh, in Vedicure on the 11th of September. I did not realize that. Was that a thing? <laughs> uh, it, it was a thing I slipped in. Yeah. I was like, okay. huh, let's, let's make it the 11th of September. Why not? <laughs> Great. <laughs> we'll find out what happens next week but definitely all of you go to Vedicure because I think when we first started this uh, campaign I was like here's really the only thing I need from you uh, build a character who will respond to a letter requesting help from an old comrade <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sweet <laughs> alright so this week we are talking about mega dungeons mega dungeons it's a robot made of dungeons who kills other dungeons and then takes their powers right it's 1000 times a dungeon oh oh obviously okay yeah that makes perfect sense yep so this topic was suggested to us by farm goat on our discord of course there's a link in the show notes which means that you if you are on discord keep those ideas coming and if you are not on discord with us come on over and keep those ideas coming uh, and before we start uh, kind of talking about Mega Dungeons, I do want to give a shout out to a name that we say in almost every episode, uh, James Heck, uh, one of the writers over at D&D Beyond. Um, he wrote an article about Mega Dungeons back at the end of 2018. Um, it is very good. It talks a lot about the Temple of Elemental Evil as well as the uh, Undermountain, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Um, like, very good uh, i did not crib his notes but i would definitely recommend it to anybody who's interested in this um he, he did a great job with that so with that in mind uh link in the show notes and then let's talk about ishan what is a mega dungeon well it is a dungeon crawl adventure or a series of adventures that takes place pretty much entirely inside a gigantic dungeon yeah so this stands in contrast to the Dungeon Crawl, which we talked about in uh, episode 199, um, where, like, you're just taking the scale up, right? Like, it's not about, um, you know, a trip into the dungeon or, or, or a, a single purpose in this dungeon. It is a dungeon that is attached to a dungeon that is attached to a dungeon that is multiple pages in your maps and notes, and, like, it's a lot. Right, like the adventure is in the dungeon, right? Like a, a traditional dungeon crawl, we, we all know the Tomb of Horrors plot, right? You get a hook to visit a dungeon, but you're in town and like there are people who are defined there and now you've got to make the trip to the dungeon and you've got to find it in the first place. You're going to fight through monsters and traps, usually in a like discrete areas inside that dungeon or in a series of rooms that connect to each other through probably regular doors or secret tunnels, etc. Right. 
uh, you will eventually fight a boss or a like kind of sub boss, you know, typically a bigger, badder monster that will sort of mark the end of your dungeon. Yeah, you'll fight a Sararak in a game of Joust. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then you will, you know, collect the loot and scars along the way. Uh, When you finish it, you will leave, go back to town, sell your stuff, and hobo on down the road to the next dungeon. All right, so how does a mega dungeon differ? Uh, It's just one gigantic dungeon. Uh, There's not, like, a set standard here, but, like, I like to think of dungeons as, like, somewhere in the, like, 10 to 50 room range you know like if you bought a a single adventure that has a 50 room dungeon like that's probably multiple sessions um mega dungeons are like hundreds of rooms Mm -hmm. you know like when you start numbering rooms and you need to like you know break out triple digits uh and then you're not then you're starting the dungeon you know like the first level has a hundred rooms like that's a mega dungeon a mega dungeon is like an entire story an entire world an entire layout like encapsulated in like a set of maps right if you can fit the entire map on a single page then it is entirely useless and illegible because there are so many rooms yeah if you're fitting it on an entire page you either have the biggest page of uh, sheet of paper (laughs) in the world (laughs) (laughs) or it's not a mega dungeon. (laughs) So I think like one of the hallmarks here, right? Because like the dungeon is the point, right? Like often there are multiple floors. Um, The layouts tend to be very like labyrinthine or other times they are very like artistic in their layout, right? Because I think like the mapping aspect of a mega dungeon is important. Um, And in fact, sometimes it's kind of like the point, Um like to see how all the rooms kind of fit together and like the mosaic that it creates or like the, the image of their shape and and that sort of thing. Like I think is, is one of those kind of Easter egg things that people design mega dungeons to do. And like people map and play mega dungeons to discover. I mean, you even remember that stuff from like the legend of Zelda, right? Where you're like, Oh, it's, Oh, it's an Eagle. This, (laughs) this, this dungeon is an Eagle. Cool. Right. All right. (laughs) That means there must be another room over here. Right. Let's let's break in somehow. This is also this is um the original Diablo game. There's a town and then there's just fifteen layers of dungeon beneath you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh before it got all procedurally generated. Bah. <laughs> Alright, so in a an actual setting, how does a mega dungeon come to be? Who makes these things? So I think you have sort of the the very D&D thing is like an act of madness or an act of devotion, right? Like you just built it on a huge scale to glorify something or someone. This is your like temple of elemental evil. I am glorifying Thar's Dune by making a giant crazy dungeon or it's Halaster who's glorifying, I guess himself. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's definitely like the like under mountain right. is, is like that self-indulgence and madness right, like right it's right. right there in the title <laughs> like dungeon of the mad mage right? yeah that's that guy yep mm-hmm. right <laughs> um but like you have things like ziggurats and dark sun right which are, are sort of in the same way sort of temples to the sorcerer kings right but like you could easily turn a ziggurat into a mega dungeon right oh totally like you know it's a thousand feet on a side yeah it's it's a thousand feet on a side uh, above ground <laughs> like right yeah who even knows what's below the city right <laughs> uh, i would say tip of the iceberg but none of you know what ice is yeah <laughs> but i guess it could also be a natural phenomenon right yeah i mean like 
you could have an Underdark adventure that is effectively a mega dungeon, right? You go in one entrance of the Underdark and you come out the other side of the Underdark without ever having left, going room by room, you know, passage by passage. Like, that's a mega dungeon. Yeah. Uh, same thing happens in Eberron in Kyber. And Kyber is sort of planned to be a place where you can have these kinds of adventures, right? You go beneath ground and then it doesn't necessarily follow the same rules of physics as like the regular material plane. You go in and out of demi planes or things can be larger on the inside than the outside. Like you can fit a mega dungeon in a smaller space than you think you would be able to fit because inside everything's crazy. Like a, a Dalkir's lair can be twisting and turning in non-Euclidean and have hundreds or thousands of rooms. Right. And then you add like manifest zones and all the other things that happen at Eberron and like, trust me it's there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this can also like kind of be more naturally occurring in like cavern networks right especially in like an, an ancient world that has like a volcanic past right like you could easily have a mega dungeon that is just carved out in the lava flow passages underneath the volcano for example mm-hmm. right and like the dungeon is not necessarily like you know the whole thing wasn't constructed as a dungeon but what you have ended up creating in your world is like a place that has an entrance a whole variety of rooms and challenges and different denizens and and ecologies and then somewhere in the middle is that vault that you're looking for you could also have these built by an abandoned or lost civilization and that this probably means that it it had a purpose prior to being a dungeon Right. right it was just a complex of rooms that has since fallen into disrepair. Like, I don't know, think about um, the New York City subway system after an apocalypse would be mm-hmm. very much like a mega dungeon. I mean, the New York City subway system right now is an apocalypse. Very much a no, mega wait, dungeon. it's a mega dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally falling apart. <laughs> but like uh, the Mines of Moria in Lord of the Rings is a mega dungeon full of like goblins and traps, but it wasn't built like that originally, right? It was right. built as like a place for all the dwarves to live. Well, until a Baylor showed up, right? Hey, well, it was their fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's more the demon than a devil, right? So I guess it doesn't really tie back to last episode. We'll, uh, we'll get into that in the, the demon episode. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think also like the, the really cool one for me is the lost city right um like this is like the city that's been buried under sand or buried under the ocean or just buried under rubble um or like you know is maybe in a place that's so remote that it's effectively inaccessible um like kind of depending on your setting right like you could uh like i'm I'm thinking of like the end of all of the like uh nathan drake um uncharted series like you know you go to shangri-la right which is just a very very remote place gigantic in the himalayan mountains and like because you can't fly there kind of because of hand waving right and like engines don't run up there like it's effectively a dungeon with an open sky yeah the the city of uh ohm which basically lost in the jungle and has been abandoned for a long time and now is just full of uh traps and evil spirits in um tomb of annihilation Mm mm-hmm like there's a, you know a giant city in Zendrick could be the same thing right like uh Kaladne in Dark Sun if you find it right like that's probably a mega dungeon if you want it to be right uh, the last half of every mummy movie right <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> um you know Atlantis in Myth is a you know it's a lost city um uh, if you were to find it like that could be your mega dungeon of course you got to figure out how to breathe underwater but otherwise like there you go and then i think like the other the other place, like, if you bring it out of just fantasy, um, is, like, 
ships like capital ships make for great mega dungeons um especially like if they're crashed or derelict um but even if you know they're running and functioning right like the death star could easily be your mega dungeon Mm -hmm. like you have that one insertion point and you have to navigate this massive space station um and all of its compartments and all of its like stormtroopers and officers and all of those things that like creep within its its boundaries as you have to complete your mission on the death star right or like this isn't a spoiler because it was in the trailer but like the death star after it has crashed landed is now a mega dungeon on the inside and it's like turned on its side and so you have these like long corridors which are actually like falls to nowhere yeah (laughs) and none of the catwalks work because they're all vertical and you've got corpses and crazy stuff inside and then occasionally you exit this door and where are you in the middle of the ocean right (laughs) (laughs) or like (laughs) like the the force awakens opens with a crash star destroyer on jakku right and like ray is is gallivanting through it like a dungeon um that is of the scale that could easily work as a mega dungeon as well in 40k obviously you've got uh space hulks and other salvage although maybe not salvageable ships yeah (laughs) (laughs) um like salvation's reach is another good one in 40k lore that's that's in um the gaunt's ghost series it's it's basically like uh a, a high gravity like accumulation of space waste um so it's it's where space hulks go to like basically be pounded into slag metal by gravity um but because of that like it's just a bunch of different compartments that like basically grow into each other right so like this piece of it might be like the remains of an imperial capital ship and this piece of it might just be like you know the remains of like an exoplanet or something right and then some of the denizens have begun like begun like carving between the two spaces to like create a, an airlock or whatever right exactly all right so when you are playing a mega dungeon how is this going to be different from a regular old dungeon delve well you want the players to feel a difference in scale um like and and mapping is is the thing that i come back to on this like we typically don't recommend mapping dungeons because it's like a lot of work and it's pretty easy to just abstract it right as a series of encounters um but here like the mapping is kind of the point like you want that artifact of the adventure like yeah we cleared 300 rooms like i want something to show for it you know yeah i I like the idea of you know someone pulls out graph paper they're like all right i'm gonna start drawing uh the map here and you're like start in the corner and you're gonna need more pieces of paper right (laughs) wait what that's a good start for today (laughs) right (laughs) we're gonna need tape does anybody have tape (laughs) sort of thinking about it long term like you said you know it's sort of bragging rights to be like haha there were 300 rooms but like the map is the proof Mm -hmm. you know we all drew it and it took days yeah right and like we kept track of what was where so that we knew where we were going and where we could go back to and all of those things you can also telegraph this before they necessarily get in right a lot of preparation and planning is going to be required in order to go into this complex where one they may not be able to find you know food and water and magical supplies or whatever but also are probably gonna have a hard time finding safe places to rest as they work their way through hundreds of rooms of enemies right so like they need to think through like how many resources are they bringing with them you know like are they bringing a train of pack animals are there hirelings or sidekicks that are going to be a part of this adventure like it's it's can be very much like an expedition you know like a 
a normal dungeon might take a day or two to clear. Like a mega dungeon could take weeks or a month. Which is like if you actually play it all out, dozens of long rests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Think about how you're going to resupply. You know, if it's inhabited, then the inhabitants probably have a way to figure out how to get food and water. Unless, of course, like it's a you know inhabited by you know droids or uh, undead, then right. you have bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> learn to eat droid (laughs) it's delicious but if that's the case right like then you probably need to have some plan to either overcome or negotiate with them like could very well be bringing trade goods right like Mm -hmm. if you if you know like that there are kobolds in that dungeon or there are um like i guess grung probably don't hang out in a dungeon but maybe in the very early part of a dungeon right like you know something where they have a a cultural identity and like a cultural interest in goods then bring them those goods and maybe you can trade for supplies yeah i think this is probably one of the reasons why people like undermountain or at least the idea of undermountain so much is like you have no idea what's going to be there like you could have grung why because halasser was like ah needs some grung here that's that's why people like me hate Undermountain. It's yeah. because you have no idea what's going to be there and there's no reason for it. <laughs> like, uh, there's that one overarching reason. Mm. Although I like the idea, though, of Halaster being like, yeah, I need some grung. And then the, all the grung just died yeah. be- because like it's just not an environment that's conducive to them surviving. <laughs> or like the grung have taken over like the, the adjoining antechambers. <laughs> like they've driven out two sets of monsters ne- neighboring them. Yeah. <laughs> like... Which we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, and then smart parties will want to think about safety. How are you going to stay safe? How are you going to leave if you have to? And uh, ways to quickly bail out. Yeah, so like overall, a mega dungeon is about attrition. Like if you're going to spend days or weeks in, in a dungeon, like you need to be able to rest right so you need to be able to secure a place to sleep for eight hours you need to know that you're safe um you might like you might have to be able to set up like base camps in a way you know of like as you advance further into the dungeon like you leave your hirelings and sidekicks with your supplies and like you venture out and then once you like get a foothold further in you like send for them and bring them forward you know yeah, what is the purpose of going into this dungeon? Are you here to just go in, get a thing, and get out? Are you exploring, and so you do need to map the whole thing? Or are you establishing a, basically a new perimeter of your society? You know, as you go in, are you saying, all right, we've taken this room, but before we move to the next one, we need to secure this room. And when we move to the next one, we don't let that security lapse on the rooms right. behind us. Right, exactly. Like, you might be, like, establishing beachheads for an invasion of this dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Or you might just need to have, like, a halo of safety, you know, behind you, a place that you can, like, kind of reliably go back to just to rest and keep your supplies. Right, like, okay, now we'll pack up the rear guard and, like, we're we're giving up access to this here because we have to keep moving forward. Yeah, and, and, like, and you have to think about that because you're there to loot, presumably, if you're like anybody else, like any other D and D character, right? Like what are you going to do with all that loot? (laughs) Like you can't just keep dragging it along to every new place. You know, it's fine. We're not counting encumbrance. Okay. (laughs) We're just ignoring it. (laughs) I pick up my 37th long sword. (laughs) I am a witcher now. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much it weighs. We just need to arrange it in this grid. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then you also need to think about like, if things go sideways in a fight in a place like 
where can you run to to escape that immediate threat right where's your regroup point where's your rally point um like and then what happens if like you need to leave the entire dungeon how do you get out of there in a pinch what's your what's your escape plan if we need to like throw the parachute and jump out right and does that mean there's no coming back and this is over right does that do you have one of these that you basically bargained your life away to get and that's it and so you're only going to use it well the person who can use it is only going to use it if they're about to die right I like the idea of like a party sort of sitting down and planning their next move and and really being like how dangerous is this place now that we have experienced some of it so that when we are in a life or death situation we don't have to debate whether we open a door we haven't opened before and run through it to get away or whether we have definitely decided it's better just to die here. I mean, that's how you introduce the chase mechanic into your mega dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) Like, rocks fall behind you. (laughs) Also, big rolling boulder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Rocks chase you down the hall. Wait, what? (laughs) I think maybe one reason that people don't do mega dungeons more is that it feels like, or it can feel like, it's tough to tell a story that you sort of fall back on combat mechanics and like the enumeration of what's in your character sheet. So how do you continue to propel plot and story forward when you're running a dungeon like this? So I think there, there's sort of three stories that you tell at once with a mega dungeon. And and this is true of a dungeon, but I think just because of scale, like you're able to tell a more like robust story um, as you go in a mega dungeon. So first is like the story of the PCs overcoming the dungeon, right? Which is kicking down doors, killing orcs, stealing their stuff. Then there's the story of the dungeon itself, right? Which is who built this? Why did they build it? How was it built? What happened here? How did it end up the way that it is, right? And like, why does this place exist? Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths of Indiana Jones in general as like a, a story and in a genre is that he he is a a dungeon delver who is overcoming traps, but he is also an explorer and an archaeologist who understands the lore and is interested in the lore and wants to find out more about why this is here. Right. Um, And I think that's important because you need that, you need that reason to keep driving forward, you know, like just looking for the next shiny object, like then you're just going through a series of mechanics to see if you get there in time, you know? Whereas like, if there's a story that the players are uncovering in the dungeon as they go deeper, like you want to keep pushing forward in order to get the next chapter. Right. Right. And it, and then the loot that you find isn't just, you know, 250 gold art object, right? It is an actual, like, you know, idol of the, the Falcon goddess. And right. I know about this because I've, like studied the lore of the civilization that was here 2000 years ago. Right. And then the third story that you tell in sequence or, or that you tell in parallel is the story of the inhabitants today, right? Which is who lives here now? Why do they live here? And like, how have they changed the environment for themselves? You know, like they can erase some of the history and, and introduce more mysteries, but they can also like change the way that like the physical landscape looks, the way that like passages work, you know, like the the dungeon might be damaged in that way, um, which might create opportunity for you as adventurers, but also like might make it that you have to take the long way now, you know, like that passage is caved in or whatever. 
And in a mega dungeon with hundreds of rooms, you're going to be telling a bunch of stories like this. Each sort of area of the dungeon, whether that's like naturally created uh, or it's determined by how much of the dungeon your party has been able to like gain control of, is is going to end up like a vignette of a particular story. So the story that you're learning from or telling about the kobolds on level two may have no interaction with the story of drow refugees on level five, uh, but they also might inform each other. Things you learned on level two might be helpful on level five. Right, and and especially like things that you learned about the dungeon on level two, right? Like, and the things you learn about the dungeon on level five, like should be kind of telling that holistic story of why was this built, right? And so that's sort of the like, in like an episodic structure, like that's what's sort of the through line that's pulling everything together. Yeah, I think that's probably the main reason that I enjoy these large constructions because they do have to tell such a a large story. Like I like the idea of the thing that we learned on level five with the drow actually helps us open the door on level two that we could not get into and we hit it on the way back. Right. Or if you're our group, you turn around immediately. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Figure out what's behind that door. (laughs) Wait, there's probably a key in there that we need or like a key card of some kind to open up a different door. (laughs) Right. Um. So, so so I hinted on this in like episodic structure, right? But like, I think that's the key here is you want to structure like the, the storytelling should be episodic framed around the inhabitants that you're dealing with in this area, right? So like, if you think of like, you know, as like a TV show, right? Like for the next couple sessions, we're telling the story of how we dealt with the kobolds, right? Like that's the episode we're on now. But, like, as you go from the kobolds onto the goblins, onto the drow, onto the undead, right? Like, each of these episodes is teaching us stuff about the dungeon. Um, and, and we're learning about, like, this place and who created it in the process. And each episode, no matter who, uh, no matter which inhabitants are the current focus, then gives the party a bit more information about the dungeon itself, which is going to be useful in future episodes, no matter who you're dealing with. I think as you're planning these kind of like episodes, right? Like effectively sections of the dungeon, like ask yourself kind of two questions. What is the challenge here, right? What are you expecting? How are you planning to threaten or or make it difficult for the PCs? And then what should they be learning here in the process? Like what, what are they meant to discover as they go through this section. I think a lot of dungeons sort of lampshade the discovery by giving you items or tokens that you can discover. And after a while, the party begins to realize, oh, wait, we found three of these tiles with, you know, animal glyphs on them and we keep finding them. Now, what do they mean? Right. Rather than Mm -hmm. necessarily figuring out something about the kind of stonework that whoever built this used um, or, you know, the the like religious iconography that these particular chaos cultists use. And, you know, maybe we'll put that together uh, in the future. But like, hey, we've acquired six stone tablets. Huh. And we didn't find one on this level. How does that matter? Is that important? Mm-hmm. Just like your regular campaign outside of the mega dungeon, these episodes can vary pretty widely in, you know, the subject, the sort of main gist of what the party is dealing with in a particular episode, as well as their length and the amount of challenge involved. This is, you know, you're telling an overarching story just like in a regular campaign. And 
right now we're telling a story that's happening in this particular village, which may not have anything to do with what's happening in another village right now. Uh, but there is an underlying issue happening across the continent. Right. Um, and I think it's important like to vary the challenge as well. <laughs> you know, like you can't just have a dungeon in which like a mega dungeon in which you have that like kind of classical, like escalating difficulty, right? Like when you have like a, like a sunless Citadel, right? Which is sort of like a 50 room dungeon. Like, sure. You enter as level one, you will have enough fights that by the end you will be level three or four. And therefore you need a higher level threat at the bottom, but that's because you're going through and you're fighting your whole way through. But like, if you string five sunless citadels together, then like you can't just have a level 15 threat at the end, you know, like at some point they need a break, um, like a, an easy portion or like the, you know, the chance to catch their breath and do like some role playing or, or do some like a, a little more like social interaction or survival interaction will like be a welcome breath of fresh air from just kicking down every single door and fighting whatever's on the other side. And then, you know, you'll tie all these uh, different sections of the dungeons together through the story, you know? So the kobolds want that trinket back that previous adventurers stole from them. And in return, they'll offer to guide you all through the next section with all of the hobgoblins, which is pretty dangerous. Right. Um, and then, of course, like classically, like any shortcuts or shortcuts or bypasses that you take, like might carry a little bit greater risk. You know, there's a there's a giant chasm that you have to cross in here in order to like take the shortcut. How do you do that? Yeah. There's all the risk of the gold that we didn't get. Uh huh. <laughs> Left all those doors unopened. The true risk. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about pacing. You touched on this a, a little bit, but you know, like you said, you can't just have it be like a, a go, go, go one to two session level of, action that you might have when you're just running through a 50 room dungeon right so i think the key is to pace for what it is about this mega dungeon that excites the players to play in it yeah is this going to be their own story that you know they've informed with their backstories and they've created a name for their adventuring company and now they're heading into this mega dungeon because they're whatever gonna conquer it or you know get all all this money because they're you know a, a team of amazing gallant swashbucklers yeah, like Door Kickers Incorporated, they're telling you what they're going to be doing. <laughs> like, um, And so when you pace that, right, like you want to build tension as their resources are dwindling, right? And you want to make sure that like you are consistently pushing them to the limit of their capability and then giving them a chance to breathe in and like regroup, right? Yeah, it, it can be sort of difficult to gauge exactly how close to the edge your party should be. But, you know, keep them close there, but not there forever, you want them on that knife edge, like in high leverage situations, right? Like that's the key. But like, like you said, it can't be forever. Like you want them starting their story with like, so there we were six levels underground. We hadn't eaten in three days. We hadn't slept in two. Our water skins are nearly empty. Ragnar has a broken leg and we're being harassed by the ugliest goblins you've ever seen that were still mad because we kidnapped their pet parrot. And then this happened, <laughs> you know, like you, you want that kind of moment for those players because that's what they've signed up for. Yeah, keep bringing them near the edge of despair. Make them think, or at least ponder, do we leave now? Is now the time when we abandon this whole thing? And then when you pull them back out, that just means that the next time they're in dire circumstances, they're going to want to keep pushing forward too. that much more tempted because they got that much more loot. Right. Uh, (laughs) And also you don't want to like have prepared hundreds of uh, rooms of a mega dungeon and then have them be like, nah, this is too tough. We're leaving. Forget this. 
Exactly. <laughs> level two. No way. <laughs> uh, the party could also be interested in learning more about the current denizens, whether that is due to research or maybe they have to know more about them because they're the key to some other kind of quest and that has brought them to the mega dungeon in the first place. Yeah. Like, if if this is what they're interested in, right? Like if if all this dungeon ecology and like um and and inhabitants are interesting, like let them live with them and spend time with those groups. Like there's no rush, you know. Like if you take a week in the relative safety of like a a group of like Dwergar, relative safety, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in in order to like accomplish something, right? Like great, like that's fine. You're still that's still part of a dungeon. This can be uh, right after those big action sequences, right? And actually that might make the party more amenable to trying to parlay or um, just living and being an inhabitant of the mega dungeon for a little while. And then, you know, that surfaces other kinds of quests like, oh, you're, you know, having trouble with uh, another group of denizens down here. Maybe we can sort of broker a truce or we can be the muscle or maybe we can answer some questions or like build things for you or this is where those trade goods come into use, right? Yeah. (laughs) We brought you seeds. You don't have these plants down here. Right. Can you imagine the kind of like uh, power you could build, the power base you could build by beginning agriculture with these down here? Right. Or like, um, you know, the easiest way through is that way, but that's a holy site and the high priest will not let you through. And now like your challenge is one, you can, you can fight the entire community of course, or assassinate the high priest, or like maybe it's about like convincing them or doing something for them or like ousting them politically. Right. And now you're, you're solving a, a dungeon. You're solving a problem in a dungeon, but you're not just kicking down doors. Right. I roll for a miracle. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Divine intervention. Not so holy anymore, is it? I unhallow. <laughs> Don't worry, I fixed it. Well, hey, that might be a problem that you're fixing. You might have to hallow it again for them. Right. Because another adventuring group, the single greatest threat in the dungeon, has already come through here, stolen a ton of the loot, and then also screwed over these poor Dwergar. <laughs> Just these poor, poor Dwergar. <laughs> <laughs> but like yes to your point um a mega dungeon offers these kinds of long tail opportunities that you don't usually get in a regular sized dungeon like think about sunless citadel you've got kobolds who are fighting these goblins and yeah you can play them off against each other or like even get hired by the kobolds but that's really a one-off thing where they're actually like hey do us a favor and go handle the threat two doors over. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, I'm on my way anyway. <laughs> Why would I not get paid for that? Sure. Right, right. <laughs> oh, we got hurt a lot. That's it's okay. We're one level down. We'll go upstairs and rest and then we'll come right, right back. <laughs> um, and then I think if the players are most interested in learning about the dungeon itself, um, especially as they go further into the dungeon, like I think you want to change the pacing so that they're encountering fewer living things um, and they're learning kind of more and more in each room that they enter, right? Like you, you kind of want to like accelerate the pacing at the end to, to keep them excited. Yeah, and I would say this actually even holds true if the mega dungeon is actually a kind of lair like we talked about before in Eberron, in, in Kyber, you might um, be infiltrating the lair or be trapped in the lair of a Dalkir. And if you think about it, 
that you would think that the further in you get, the more monsters there would be because they're sort of emanating from from the Dalkir. But in a lair or like a, a death store or whatever, actually, when you get closer to like the throne room or the or the base of power, it's it is kind of likely that there will be fewer things that you encounter because this is supposed to be a safe space that doesn't need to be guarded. So it it'll make sense that even if you get deeper in, the challenges become maybe more cerebral or you meet fewer things, but you meet more things that you can parlay with or things that are intrigued to meet you from the outside. Yeah. And like, that's always the thing too. Like, uh, you know, if a beholder is at the center of the dungeon, right? Like, uh, like in Dalkir, like nobody is going into the beholders tunnels. (laughs) Like there's a, there's an, a radius in which that beholder is going to (laughs) operate and you don't want to be in it. (laughs) So like, I think you can shift towards like puzzles and traps and environmental complications here, but what you don't want to do is like make them very complicated problems just because they're deeper in, you know, like you want them to kind of like, Oh, cool. Like one spell solves this problem. We cast the spell and we keep moving. Cause like we're at the end, like we want to, we want to go, we want to find out what's around the next corner because like we're learning about this and the story of this dungeon is compelling. Yeah. And it's harder to refresh those abilities anyway. So the, the cost of using those abilities, the deeper you go in is naturally higher anyway, even if like on paper, it's still like a third level spell slot. Right. Now, one of the reasons that we sometimes say that you should avoid mapping out a dungeon is so that you can change stuff. Yeah, so you can cheat. Because <laughs> <laughs> until the players have actually drawn it on their maps, it exists in a state where it hasn't yet, you know, coalesced into dungeon form. It's a, it's a, yeah, like a quantum state. Right. <laughs> so the player's <laughs> observation is what makes it so. <laughs> So, yeah, I think, like, you know, sometimes, especially when you get into, like, the, like, physical shape of the dungeon, um, you might have some constraints that you have to work within on this. But, like, for the most part, like, you can probably switch rooms, move some encounters, or, like, completely erase encounters uh, in order to, like, suit the pacing of the players. You know, like, if if it's less interesting for them to just get curb stomped by, like, a pack of of orcs on the other side of this door because they're pushing too far and too hard. Like maybe sandbag that encounter or like move those orcs later and like give them a chance or a warning or something that would like give them a reason to rest and prepare a little bit more so that you're not just like TPKing your players on level three out of seven. Yeah. And I think I think this is probably true where like players and GMs who are more interested in a kind of OSR old school style game will be more attracted to a mega dungeon. But I would suggest that you've already done so much prep and let's be honest, you're probably not creating this mega dungeon yourself, like writing it all out, right? You are probably adapting something from somewhere else or using some sort of like randomly generated table or whatever. I highly suggest that you feel free to edit things or to change things, especially Mm -hmm. if it's random, right? It may not necessarily like, make sense or it may not actually make for good fun gameplay but also if you're running someone else's like 40 page 
mega dungeon like tweak things for your players capabilities or for the play style of your game or for how long your sessions are right because people don't want to stop one hour before the session ends um so they might just be more foolhardy or they might they might end up being more cautious and ramp it up why not right so yeah i think just because just because it's a mega dungeon doesn't mean that what's written down has to be any more sacred than anything else that you plan in any other adventure it's just a little bit harder to move things on the map like if you can keep the shape of the rooms the same that'll that'll help you a little bit well do you hear that Ishin? Uh, is that uh, the little scritchy scratch of scarab beetles oh no <laughs> how did they survive down here for this long what have they been eating <laughs> Well, I think they've been eating our last uh, set of adventurers, so it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and roll up a new batch. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sounds Carne, that's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And I suppose there are some people who don't know what Discord is. Discord is a chat app uh, that is used primarily by gaming communities. Um, it, it's got like voice chat and, you know, uh, type chat and all the, the usual stuff. It's like Slack. <laughs> it's, it's like IRC. <laughs> But yeah, it's basically that. Um, and because of that, lots of people have gathered on Discord. So if you want to join us there, uh, that is where we hang out most of the day. <laughs> slacking off from work. So uh, if you want to come join our community there, there's a link in the show notes. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Kobold Press. Do you love Kobold Press 5th Edition Adventures? Well, now you can get some of their best ones on Fantasy Grounds, including... Courts of the Shadow Fae, an adventure for 7th to 10th level characters that contains 100 NPCs, a map with more than 60 locations of the courts, and more than 40 combat and role-playing encounters. I think that means it's not technically a mega dungeon. Mm-hmm. If you slap two of them together, though. That's true. It will take you from the mortal world to the hearts of shadow. Or check out Necropolis of the Mailed Fist, a punishing one-session tournament dungeon for 8th level characters. Monsters and constructs guarding the necropolis can overwhelm the careless or unwary. The traps and hazards protecting its relics can slay an adventurer who makes a single misstep. Curses are everywhere, along with dangers that can destroy magic items, which is the worst curse of all. Everything you need to play is loaded up and ready to go in a sleek virtual table on Fantasy Grounds. Hey Shane, maybe we could play a, uh, a mega dungeon online on Fantasy Grounds. Maybe maybe that. that's how we could get everyone together, and we could we could do it while we're all at work. Oh, interesting. I, I okay. I'll send out the uh, invite right now. Nice. All right. So to find out more, you can go to fantasygrounds.com and tell them DSPN sent you. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, Shane, we're building the Dungeoneer. Tell us all about the Dungeoneer. The Dungeoneer is a dungeon delver who was born to go into dungeons. And do dungeoning. That makes sense. Uh, were they chosen by a magic ring and by your thieves' tools combined? I am Captain Dungeon. No, no, no. That's the Planeteers. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell you what. What's the build? The build is Assassin Rogue 7, Gloomstalker Ranger 3, War Magic Wizard 10. I'll tell you right now, this is 
very similar. I think we're on the same wavelength to um, a build that I was putting together to like potentially go through Tales from the Yawning Portal. Mm. Oh, you end with Tomb of Horrors. So, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> is this also the first appearance in the Character Creation Forge of the Dungeon Delver feat? It is the first appearance of the Character Creation Forge <laughs> of the Dungeon Delver feat. <laughs> Well, it makes sense here because it gives you advantage on perception and investigation checks to find secret doors, advantage on saving throws versus traps, and resistance to damage from those traps if you do fail. Uh, And then you also uh, have no passive perception penalty for traveling at a fast pace, which I actually forgot was even a thing. So good for you, feet. Yeah, same. (laughs) Also, don't travel at a fast pace through a dungeon. Right. I mean, I guess if you're running away, run away. This is also the first appearance of the Dwarf Mark of Warding race, Ishan. Wow. Um, I like this thematically. So Mark of Warding, uh, as with normal dwarves, you get dark vision, advantage on saves versus poison, and resistance to poison damage, which is great because traps, so many traps use poison damage. Uh Uh-huh. Poison needles, cloud kills, etc. Stone cunning, extremely useful because it gives you expertise on history checks related to stonework, and many, many dungeons are made of stone. And then you get uh, from the Mark of Warding, you get Warder's Intuition, which is a uh, extra D4 on investigation and thieves tools checks. And then Wards and Seals lets you cast Alarm, Mage Armor, and Arcane Lock once per day. Now, this is usually to keep people out, but honestly, in a dungeon, the thing you want to do every single night is secure the perimeter <laughs> uh-huh yeah exactly that's it's a big theme for this build <laughs> from your spells of the mark you will add to your spell list alarm uh, armor of agathis uh, arcane lock and i think knock is an underrated spell here um just the ability to open doors that are you know sealed um and then we're we're really here for glyph of warding and magic circle both uh, both good defensive spells and then my personal favorites are Lehman's secret chest a fourth level spell uh which is typically you know people like use it to uh get loot out you know turn a chest into a like a send it into hammer space and then keep the little like um replica with you but i think it's great for packing in supplies <laughs> Like you can load up on food, you can load up on on anything you need inside this chest, and then transport it with a little replica. Um, access it whenever you need it, um, and then you'll get Morden Kanan's Faithful Hound, which is a a hound that does security for you while you sleep. Um, but what's handy is it doesn't just start barking when there's a uh, an intruder; it'll actually attack. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> And it like it, it hurts like at the, you know at the end of the day if you have an extra fourth level slot like forty eight damage on a hit is that's a pretty good like just free extra little ability for something that's bothering you while you sleep. I mean you're long resting right, right. so <laughs> you're getting that slot back anyway. Exactly. So Gloomstalker Ranger gives you a favored enemy. Uh, if you can do some research before you head into the dungeon, you'll you might be able to figure out what you should pick. Natural Explorer, probably under dark or mountain, depending on the terrain of this dungeon. And archery fighting style, because everything is dangerous and you want to attack it from range. Then you will also know three first level ranger spells. Um, I think uh, Hunter's Mark is probably a go to, but like you can you can take a look at some of the utility stuff on the level one ranger list. 
Dread Ambusher gives you Wisdom 2 Initiative, which is going to be great when you finally do get into the fight. Uh, it'll give you 10 feet of additional movement in the first round, and then you can make two attacks in the first round rather than just one. Yeah, on your extra attack, you'll do an extra D8 damage if you hit. And then we're really here for Umbral Sight, which increases your dark vision to 90 feet, and then you are invisible to creatures that use dark vision. Very, very common underground. Yeah, you are a very, very sneaky dwarf. What are you trying to say about dwarves, Shane? Uh, not traditionally sneaky. I said it. All right, fine. Fine, we'll let that pass, but we'll bring it up at the next council meeting. Okay. <laughs> War Magic Wizard, 10. You get fifth level spells, all the utility slots. Uh, please, please. That's really, that's the main thing you want down here. You don't want to be chucking fireballs in close quarters. Yeah, and, and then also just like your build is like uh, an alpha striking rogue from range like you don't need to be throwing in a bunch of like combat spells as well you want to get through the challenges as cheaply for the team as possible mm. and then one of my favorite abilities for a dungeon delver actually is the level two ability from war magic wizard arcane deflection which as a reaction you can give yourself plus two to ac or plus four to a saving throw anytime like just as a reaction it doesn't get used up there's no limited uses the only drawback is that you can only cast cantrips until the end of your next turn but that's fine you're shooting a bow right then you can you will also get tactical wit which adds your intelligence to initiative uh you don't necessarily have to have a high intelligence for this build because you're not going to force too many saving throws or make too many spell attacks but still like I, between wisdom and initiative or between wisdom and intelligence to your initiative, like you're gonna go first. Yeah, you're three stacks, three stats to initiative. Right. <laughs> and the three stats you're gonna take. Um, and then you at level six you get power surge. So every time you counterspell or dispel magic, you will gain a power surge up to like your intelligence modifier. And then on a hit, you can expend one of these surges to deal up to five points of extra damage. That's half your wizard level. And then at level 10, durable magic. While you are concentrating on a spell, you get plus two to AC and saving throws, uh, which basically stacks with everything. And there are so many spells that you just always want to be concentrating on. Yeah, I mean, it just like a, your basic level one hunter's mark is concentration, mm -hmm. right? So like you throw that up at the beginning of the fight and now you got plus two bonus to AC and saves like you're in good shape. Assassin Rogue gives you four expertises. You're going to want investigation and perception, of course. 46 sneak attack, cunning action. And you can assassinate which means you get advantage on creatures who haven't acted uh, in the first round of combat, and you are going to crit on anyone you hit who is surprised. So with plus three stats to your <laughs> to your initiative, I feel like you're going to be able to use your assassinate in every fight. Uh, you will also get disguise kit and poisoner's kit proficiency. Uh, and then what we're really here for is uncanny dodge and evasion uh, that will reduce the damage on um, attack rolls, as well as when you make dexterity saves you will take half on a fail and zero damage on a success so in terms of leveling order we're of course going to start rogue one um, i think you then want to take your gloom stalker levels uh, this is a tough one because you need to get that um you need to get your dungeon delver feet at some point and so like the longer you go like the less you're going to feel like a dungeon delver even though it's not really that great so like i would probably do it that way um and then take all your, start taking some wizard levels 
finish rogue, finish wizard. I, I don't know exactly where to split those wizard levels. It's kind of based on like what are you seeing in the dungeon and what are the tools that you need in your toolkit in order to overcome them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd probably definitely go at least to wizard two and pick up arcane deflection, uh, but yeah. maybe even further to grab the ASI. Yeah. Before we wrap up, uh, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the show and help other people find us. If you do, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well... Picard is back, and so I think it is finally time to talk about playing in the Star Trek universe. I know it's your favorite, Shane. It is, and Picard is my favorite lady. <laughs> yeah, she has those uh, she has those buns in her hair, right? Princess Picard. That's what's on all the advertisements. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and in the character creation forge, <laughs> we're building section thirty-one. I don't know what this is. <laughs> But that's it for episode 235 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge has a new Kickstarter out right now, running until February 13th, for color options on your printing. Hey, hey, do you hate painting? Me too. <laughs> This way, you can just get them pre-printed with color, either uh, right into the actual mini, like the plastic is colored itself, or you can design them online, uh, add your own colors, and then they will be sent to a professional artist who will hand-paint it. Yep, you know the deal with Hero Forge. You get to design and customize your mini, any pose, any items, whatever they have, uh, any race, any gender, whatever you would like to see on your mini. Well, now you can do that in color uh, with an online design With their online color design tool, you can virtually paint your mini after you've created it. You can add color tones for skin, fur, metal, glass, all those types of things. You can add dry brushing and washing and inking effects and even mix custom colors. You can use the color design tool like a paint planner so you can try out the colors, see what they look like before you uh, actually send it out to get painted or have it printed. Or if you're like me and paint your own minis, You can kind of like test what colors it's going to look like before you start painting. Super handy. There's also a token maker for the virtual tabletop, which lets you design and export tokens in full color, either as portrait or top-down view. So the Kickstarter closes February 13th, and they begin updating their library of thousands of parts for full color compatibility. In May of 2020, they will finalize the user interface for the color app and launch the beta. And then in June 2020, they will open order submission for 3D printed color and hand-painted miniatures and start fulfillment. And we will finally get our hands on some and and be broke, I guess. I guess we'll be broke. Because there goes all my money. I guess we could just pay them the money they gave us for this ad. Yeah. <laughs> we could <laughs> at least spend that. Passing it right back to them. <laughs> so check that out over on Kickstarter or at heroforge.com.